I always get excited every two years around October because my phone upgrades. You know, hopefully, that's not, <laughs> hopefully that's not the only time I experience joy. But there is an upgrade in that moment on my phone. And, uh, and there's a verse that's been living with me for the last four, four years. And it's a verse that talks about the promise of upgrades, of uh, growth and development. And it's in James 1. And the verse, in chapter 1 and verse 2, it says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of various kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith will produce perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature, complete, and not lacking anything. So there's a promise in here that every time we are impacted by a trial of various kinds, that there's an upgrade attached to it. And I was listening to a talk by Graham Cook in October 2014, and he spoke about this, that every time we're impacted by a trial of circumstance or a trial of provision, any kind of trial of various kinds, that within it there's a promise from God of an upgrade. And he said every time you get impacted by something that may be discouraging or disappointing or painful or a trial is to ask God, what's the upgrade in this? And he says this illustration of, you know, you're ringing your friend and your friend says, you know, what's going on in your life? And your friend says, I'm going through a trial. And the friend says, oh, lucky you. I'm so jealous. You're going through a trial. What's God going to do? What's God going to upgrade? What's God going to perfect? What's God going to give you through this? I wish it was me. And so I started something called Upgrades in, as an, in part of an app where every time I'd be impacted by anything that would be a trial, and Jesus says, you know, each day has enough trouble of its own, so there's an opportunity for upgrade, not just once every two years, but once a day. I'd ask him, what are you wanting to do in my life through this? And I would prophesy over myself the heart of God that he wanted to produce something through this trial. And in four years, I've now got 690 personal prophetic words from God around his promises of upgrade through the various things I've encountered. I think it's all, so anytime we're impacted by something, there's a promise in it. And I want to unpack this verse this morning. And I want to do it through looking at the verse, but also telling a few stories. In 1819, there was a, a, a ship called the Whale Ship Essex. And the Whale Ship Essex was um, hit by a sperm whale, and the, the boat sunk. Um, in, in, I think in the Pacific, Pacific Ocean, around 1,200 miles from the nearest land. Three lifeboats went into the water. After 24 hours of being in the water, the men began to think, what's our plan and what are we going to do? There were three possible scenarios that they could do. The first one was to, to go to the nearest land. They had enough water and enough food to go to the nearest land. That was Tahiti, about 1,200 miles away. But the men had heard rumours that on this particular island there were cannibals. And so fear told them a story that if we arrive on the beach, we're immediately going to be eaten. There was also the possibility of sailing a bit further and going to Hawaii. But the captain knew that the seasonal storms were about to hit Hawaii and that they might be um, capsized and, 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 uh, and sink. The other alternative was to sail to South America, which was further 
more challenging, and they probably wouldn't have enough food and water to make it there. These were the fears that danced in their imaginations. The fear they chose to listen to would govern whether they lived or died. They were terrified of cannibals, so they decided not to go to the closest islands and instead embarked on a longer, more difficult route to South America. Probably all the suffering of these men might have been avoided had they not had they immediately steered to Tahiti. But Melville, who based his novel Moby Dick on the true account of this, said they didn't go to Tahiti because they feared cannibals. The problem was they listened to the wrong story. And what happened was half the men died and some of them actually did turn to cannibalism. Of all the narratives they responded to, of all the stories they responded to, only the most lurid, the most vivid, the one that was the most easy to capture their imaginations was the one they listened to or pictured cannibals. They should have listened instead to the less violent but more likely tale, the story of starvation and head straight to Tahiti. So every time we are impacted by a trial, a circumstance, a difficulty, a problem, a disappointment, a discouragement, trials tell us a story. And often trials paint a fearful story. That all fear works by telling stories. Fears have characters, and the character, the central character in all of our fearful stories, is ourselves. What will happen to me? Fears produced by trials have plots, they have beginnings, they have middles, and they have ends. Fears create suspense. What will happen next? Fears tell us a story about our future. A trial hits, we begin to imagine a story, an outcome, and we have the capacity, which is unique to men and women, to time travel to the future and see an awful future being played out. In some ways, that's an aspect of being made in the, images, in the image of God. We are conscious beings who can imagine, who can think. What will happen to my house? my family, my children, my business, to me. The answer to these fears always takes the form of a narrative, a story. So we could turn to one account in the Bible of the disciples in, in Mark chapter 4 and verse 35. They, they are about to embark going across. So it says... In Mark chapter 4 and verse 34 and 5. That day, when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, um, just as he was in the boat. There was also other boats with him. A, a furious storm or squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat, so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The, G the disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. 
Then the wind died down and was completely calm. He said to the disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? So the, the story begins, let us go over to the other side. That's the promise God has said. The Son of God has said, we are going over to the other side. That's the promised ending of, the, of what Jesus is saying. We're getting in the boat and we're going over to the other side. And then there was wind and there was a trial. Something happened in their circumstances and began to impact them. In their minds, they begin to make up a story. Jesus is asleep and Jesus doesn't care about us. They've forgotten the promise we're going over to the other side. Circumstances have come. Now they're telling themselves another story about what's going on. We're here because Jesus is a, is a cruel joke messiah who tricked us and got us into the boat and he really doesn't care. So they have then mental time travel into the future. We are going to perish. Jesus says to them, why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? In other words, you could have told yourself another story about this and you would have had a different reaction in the midst of the trial. You could have said, Jesus has said we are going to the other side. We won't perish. And some people have even said, when Jesus said, where is your faith, that maybe they could have believed and rebuked the storm themselves and taken authority over the storm themselves. So the capacity to consider it pure joy when we're faced with trials of various kinds really depends upon the story that we tell ourselves while we're in the midst of the trial. Often the story we create around trials can be more painful than the trial itself. According to a research study on worry, around about 80% of the things we worry about never happen. And of the 20% that do happen, people find a capacity to endure the trials much in a way that they never would have anticipated in their imagination. So James is saying, consider it pure joy when you are faced with trials of various kinds. What's a trial for one person isn't a trial for another. It's various kinds. What can hurt one person and leave them discouraged, another person doesn't even feel. There are various trials. But he says, consider it pure joy because you know that the testing of your faith produces something. It's producing an upgrade. That God absolutely loves us. And he's after us knowing how to walk in sustainable freedom, sustainable joy and sustainable peace regardless of circumstances. He wants to fill us with something that's greater than anything around us. He wants to fill us with himself. And so when God looks at us, and we'll, we'll unpack the source of trials and how they work, but God's first concern for you and me 
isn't that I'm happy and that I'm comfortable. And when he looks at us as a loving father, his first concern isn't just to keep me comfortable and to keep me happy. He's actually after my joy and he knows our deep and abiding joy can only be satisfied and our desires fully met when our desires are fully met in him. He's actually being kind to test our faith. So when we're faced with trials of various kinds, they, the trial lets us see something, the test lets us see something that we didn't know before. So if we do mock exams or exams and we do the test and there's loads of stuff we didn't know or didn't understand or didn't get, that's actually really helpful information because now we know where grace is going to upgrade us and what grace is now going to be working on in our lives. Graham Cook says, God is, he's dealing with the righteous in a different way, the ones who are in Christ in a different way. He, He doesn't want to show what's wrong, he wants to show what's missing in our experience of God. He's now dealing with the fact that the believer is righteous and he wants the believer to know who they are and what they have in Christ. So when, when anxiety comes because of a trial, God is kindly allowing us to see what's missing in our faith connection with him. Anxiety is a signal that something has gone wrong with my faith connection to him. It's like if you're driving your car and the oil lamp blinks. You don't feel all condemned, do you? It's just telling you there's something wrong with your car. Something's missing, something needs to be looked at, it's the oil or it's the brakes. Something is being indicated to you for you to do something about. So trials give us helpful information about something that needs upgrading, maturing, or perfecting. In other words, if I truly trusted him, I would have perfect peace about this. And the fact I don't have perfect peace about this is because in that area, my faith is weak. My connection to him is weak. My trust in him and his goodness is weak. And he is a very good teacher. And it's interesting with him is that he's such a good teacher that if we don't learn the lesson the first time around, it it, it just has a habit of coming around again, of coming around again, of coming around again. It's like, yeah, you can sit that paper again and again and again and again, and I'll let you take that again and again and again, because I want to grow you, I want to mature you, I want to upgrade you, I want you to be complete and lacking nothing in that particular area. So the issue with trials is not the source, but the lesson that's attached to it. I, I, 
am of the conviction that God's will is always to heal and that Jesus does not send sickness to teach you a lesson. I love what Paul Manwaring said from Bethel when he was diagnosed with cancer. He said, God did not send cancer to teach me a lesson. He sent Jesus to teach cancer a lesson. And I think that's so important that we have a, I personally think it's really possible to pray for the sick with any confident expectation if I'm not 100% convinced that Jesus came to heal he went around doing good and healing the sick and setting everyone who was a, setting everyone free was oppressed by the devil that that's his will on healing and we live in a fallen world where people do evil things and I don't subscribe to the idea of a cruel God who does something cruel to people in his sovereignty just to teach them a lesson Theologians might call that cruel Calvinism, ultimate sovereignty and cruelty. I remember when I was 21 and I, would, I drifted from God and I wasn't really fervent, hot or interested, I was kind of just drifting along. And I made a decision to go to a party and I made a decision to drink too much. I bumped into a guy who beat me up and nearly killed me. And on any of those points, God was not cruel. I made lots of choices that night, but when I woke up, I woke up with a fervency for him and wanted him like I hadn't ever wanted before. And I made lots of decisions that I would serve him and pursue him because I'd faced the reality that I could have died that night. But at no point did I think you're a cruel, you're a cruel God who I, I, I didn't have to be there, I chose to be there. And so the issue with trials is not so much to understand always, is it, is it God, is it the devil, is it this? It's but to ask the question, this trial, this thing, there's a story attached to it that's redemptive and God can use it and work it together for good. And I can count it all joy because I'm going to be upgraded in it. Whether the source of it is my own foolishness, another person's evil, or the reality of living in a fallen world. James makes the connection here that there is a connection between being able to navigate the reality that in this life we'll have troubles and being able to navigate that well and being prepared for increase. I think someone, I think Bill Johnson said, um, sometimes people come up to him and say, Can I have a double impartation of what you carry? Can you just lay your hands on me and I can have a double impartation? And he says, if it was just that easy, I would lay hands on myself and give you a double <laughs> impartation. Yeah. Nobody can impart or just give their story mm. and their journey and the way they've navigated things. No one can just give that. There are spiritual gifts, but character is developed over time. And so there is a link between where you are going in Christ and where he's taking you and the promises he's taking you to and your current circumstances. And your current circumstances give you an opportunity to navigate difficulties that will prepare you for promotion and growth and increase. 
And the truth is, we actually don't like that reality. Because it can be really painful at times, the lessons and the, and the journeys, mm. and the unplanned place and the unplanned pace. You know, he doesn't go as quickly as we want, maybe, and he doesn't do what we want when we want. And that can be <coughs> incredibly painful for us. But when we change the story and say, I'm choosing to believe another story in this, I'm going to consider it pure joy. What are you doing? What are you upgrading? What are you perfecting? What sustainable joy and peace and freedom will I get through this? So I believe that God can do the suddenly. But when he does just the suddenly and there's not a foundation of journey, sometimes the suddenly is not always able to be sustainable because you don't know how you got there. But when you go on a journey with him, through process of trust and there's suddenlies and there's moments of invasion of his goodness and you know how you got there you know how to stay there Listen, I want to tell you another story this is a story about Jim Stockdale Colonel Jim Stockdale Colonel Jim Stockdale was a um, United States military officer and he was held captive in Hanoi Prison, Vietnam, for eight years. Stockdale was tortured more than 20 times by his captures, captors. And he never had much reason to believe that he would survive the prison camp and that someday he would get to see his wife again. And yet Stockdale said he never lost faith during his ordeal. I don't know if this guy's a believer, but this is what his faith was in. I never doubted, not only that I would get out, but that I would prevail in the end. And turn the experience into the defining event of my life, which in retrospect, I would not trade. So he's in prison, he's in Hanoi, he's in solitary confinement, and he's telling himself a story, a narrative. So trials are coming to tell him one story, a fear-based story, you're going to die here, you're never going home here, this is going to end in disaster, you'll never see your wife again. He chooses to say, no, I'm going to tell myself another story. I will prevail, this will be the defining moment of my life, and in retrospect, I will never tra trade what went on in Hanoi prison for anything else. While Stockdale had remarkable faith in the unknowable, this is the important thing, he noted that it was always the most optimistic of the prison mates who failed to make it out there alive. So the optimistic ones were in the prison, they would be saying things like this, we're going to be out by Christmas. And Christmas would come and go. Then they'd say, we're going to be out by Easter. And Easter would come and go. Then Thanksgiving, we're going to be out by Christmas. Stockdale said that these men died of a broken heart.
what the optimists failed to do was to confront the reality of their situation. They preferred the ostrich approach, you know, sticking their heads in the sand and hoping for the difficulties to go away. That delusion might have made it easier on them in the short term, but they were eventually forced to face reality. It had become too much to handle and they couldn't handle it. Stockdale approached adversity with a very different mindset. He accepted the reality of the situation. He said he knew he was in hell, but rather than bury his hand in the sand, he stepped up and did everything he could to lift the morale and prolong the lives of the fellow prisoners. He created a tapping code. They're all in different cells. And if you tap once, and then one, two, three, that's C. If you tapped, that would then in tap twice, then one, that's E. So they cut out this tapping code so they could communicate to each other. And then he had a milestone system that helped them deal with torture. You know, he said to them, when you've suffered torture for 20 minutes, give them a meaningless fact. You're going to be tortured, and when you're tortured, give them a meaningless fact. Just give them something that's not that significant. And he sent intelligence information to his wife, hidden in seemingly innocent letters. So considering a pure joy when you face trials of many kinds does not mean denial. It does not mean denial. It means, this is awful, I hate this, I wish this would be over, I'm suffering, I'm dying in this situation, in this job, in these circumstances. I won't deny it, and I won't argue with the facts. I'll acknowledge it, I won't deny it. Abraham faced the fact that his body was as good as dead and Sarah's womb was barren, yet in faith against all faith he considered God. It's considered God able. I'm not going to deny it. Joshua and Caleb, when they're in the land, they did not deny the fact that there were giants in the land. They acknowledged the fortified cities and the, and the giants. Yes, this trial is painful. I will face the reality of this situation, but I will change the story I tell myself in the midst of this situation. I will not listen to a fearful plot or narrative. I'm a character in the midst of this situation and God is working it together for good. I will prevail. I'll never be the same again. God is maturing. God is redeeming. God is working this together for good. I won't say, well, it'll be over by. It'll be over by. I will live in the midst of it, not knowing how long it might go on. But however long it goes on, I'm trusting in the redemptive capacity of a God who can redeem all things, work all things together for good, mature me so that I'll be complete and not lacking anything in this area. I'll tell you one last story. Dr. Richer of St. John's Medical Hospital carried out an experiment because he wanted to measure the power of a goal or the power of hope. He, he took 32 rats and he put the 32 rats in a water barrel. And just before the rats were expected to die, he picked up 16 of them, 
held them a little while, and then put those 16 back in the water. In this way, he wrote, the rats quickly learn that the situation is actually not hopeless. This small interlude made a huge difference. The rats that experienced a brief reprieve swam for much longer and lasted much longer than the rats who were left alone. Actually, he found the rats who never got picked out of the water died in two minutes. The rats who got picked out could swim with strength for two days. They also recovered almost immediately. When the rats learned that they were not doomed, that the situation was not lost, that there might be a helping hand in the ready, in short, when they had a reason to keep swimming, they did. They did not give up and they did not go under. After the elimination of hopelessness, wrote Richard, the rats do not die. He said, there is obviously many differences between humans and rats. <laughs> but one similarity stands out. We all need a reason to keep swimming. You can get energy through hope. The rats who were picked up were given a clear picture of what being rescued looked like, and this gave them hope. Frankel, who was taken into Auschwitz prison camp and stripped of absolutely everything, said, you can strip a man of everything, but he always has one thing, how he chooses to respond. We are the author of the story we tell ourselves. We can build a narrative, a story of hopelessness and despair, where we're the victim in our own stories, full of terror about the future. Or we can build a narrative of hope and expectation. Hope is an expectation of what is sure and certain. And there's only one thing that's sure and certain, and that's the nature and character of the God of all hope. Yeah. The, the God of all hope is the foundation of the ultimate joy when we face trials of many kinds. You know, we can have hope in many things. Oh, I hope it's going to rain. Ah, didn't rain. I hope my team will win. Ah, they never win. They do. <laughs> <laughs> I was really hoping I was going to be healed by now, and I'm not. Still holding on that. Today's a good day for a miracle. And yet the ultimate place that you can put all confidence is Jesus, the God of all hope. Yeah. That when we trust in him, we get filled with all joy and peace in believing. There's an alternative narrative, story to everything that you're facing right now, or I'm facing right now. It's this, I cannot lose. If... Frankel in Auschwitz could find hope if Colonel Stockdale could find the confidence to prevail and even govern his own internal world, not necessarily through connection to the God of all hope. How much more can the believer believe 
in all situations that they cannot lose because they have one that transcends them. Yeah. One who is not just contained within them, but who is, who has said, who has promised. I cannot lose. What are you doing in my life right now? What are you establishing? What are you building? What are you upgrading? You can get energy from hope because of who you are, because of your faithfulness, because of your redemptive capacity, because your ability to work everything together for good. I'm going to keep swimming. And I'm not going to say it's going to be over by Easter or over by Christmas or over by then. I don't know what's going to happen. I just know that you're miraculous. You have the capacity to invade at any given moment, any time. And I'm going to live every day with that expectation. But at the same time, I'm going to know that this trial is producing in me what nothing else could. The story we tell ourselves is what creates a world of inner peace, an environment of peace and joy. Even to the point where we say, I don't even need it to be sorted for me to function in peace and joy. Because the peace and joy is actually nothing to do with a destination I may reach today, it's to do with a person I know today. Mm. And I can be filled with all joy and peace in believing, not just when I reach a destination. It creates an environment telling that kind of story based on scripture to yourself where anxiety can't find any place to breathe or a place to land. I choose to believe I am held on to. I choose to conclude I can't lose. I recognise he is with me, at hand, working for my good. I am safe because he says I am. And instead of terrifying speculation, changing the story about what's going on and looking for the upgrade in your trials leads you to praise, expectation and joyful anticipation. You're doing something. I'm not saying it's from your hand, God. I'm not accusing you of doing anything bad. But you've hidden something in this for me. In these situations. And I'm expecting and I'm joyful and I'm anticipating So I have this app that now has 690 upgrades. And whenever I face anything perplexing, confusing, confusing or difficult or challenging or a trial of various kinds, I ask Jesus, what are you producing? What are you developing? What are you upgrading? What are you doing in my life through this? I ask him, what do I need to believe right now to navigate this trial really well? I ask, what can I do? right now. Remember Stockdale, a tapping code. So they could communicate and other things he developed. How can I cooperate with you? And so Jesus, we we want to thank you that this is how frustration turns to celebration. Yes. This is how we move from being I am a victim to I am more than a conqueror. Mm. This is how we co labour with you through understanding that in this world we'll have difficulties and trials of various kinds, but that you are so wonderful and redemptive of everything. And so Jesus, we ask you right now, and that instead of being bogged down by what's the source of this trial and am I to blame for this trial or anything like that, that we would turn to you and say, I consider it pure joy because you are doing something in my life that could never be produced any other way. 
And you are getting me ready for growth and maturity and inheritance. And you're causing me to know you at a deeper and greater way. Amen. Amen.